Blog Talk Radio. I'm Laura Mize, Pediatric Speech-Language Pathology, and welcome to, or Speech-Language Pathologist, <laughs> it's been a long week, <laughs> and welcome to Teach Me to Talk's uh, podcast. I'm so happy that you've joined me today. Ooh, I am extra tired, even for a Friday, because I have worked at my church's summer program for the first time, and I, I know I shared this last year on the podcast, but I'll share it again. Johnny and I decided the year before last, that we were just going to make a big change after some kind of a traumatic personal life event. And so we decided that we were going to move to a just a simpler, slower pace. And so we bought a fixer-upper house and lived out our HGTV dream, still kind of working on that, but in a very rural part of Kentucky. And we're from, or for the last 20 years, have been in Louisville, which is in Kentucky, but for all Intensive purposes, it really is more of a Midwestern city, but we have moved to a, a part of Kentucky that is just breathtakingly beautiful, but very, very, very rural. And I even live in a little city in the city limits in town, but it's so still in the country that I can hear cows from my porch. <laughs> so just to kind of give you an, ex- an example of, of what I'm talking about here with I'm in a totally different environment. It reminds me very much of the town I grew up in in Mississippi um, when I was a little girl. So again, a really different kind of pace. So we're going to a new church, and so I'm volunteering or have volunteered this week in their summer program. And I love to do this one because you get to know families in a way and different kind of families than, that you and me. You know, these are families with typically developing children. And as a therapist, it is so important that we constantly stay reminded of typical development and normal child development because those of us who are speech pathologists and other kinds of therapists get really, really accustomed to working with children with delays. And so because of that, that kind of becomes normalized and expected. And then when we do stumble across a child who is typically developing, if we, if we don't routinely keep that as a part of our you know, constant reminder and environment, we can be really, really surprised at how typical development looks. Like if you've ever just been away and been just out of the loop with kids that are typically developing, and then all of a sudden, again, you meet a two-year-old who is just a chatty patty, it can be a surprise to us (laughs) to remember that a typically developing 24-month-old, typically developing an average child, has between two and 300 words. Now, if you're a parent of a late talker and you're listening to this, please don't let that alarm you. You probably already know that and remember that because that's the reason that you're concerned about your child and and have gotten him or her into services, certainly if you're listening to a show like this. Uh, but my point with that is sometimes we as therapists stick to the milestones that we know, which, again, represent the very bottom rung of normal. And so as for 24-month-old, we might think, oh, they should have about 50 words. No, again, that's just the last rung of normal. And, and all of our little friends at 24 months old, uh, if, especially if they're just beginning therapy, which is a really common time to begin therapy, have zero words. <laughs> so when we think about a child having 50 words as an early interventionist, you may think that's a lot of words. Got to remember what typical is. And that's why, again, I've loved 
coming to a new community and getting to know a whole new round of kids and I'm I'm certainly so happy to get to do that. But it's to remind myself of typical development and then just cultural differences between uh, even just, uh, again, those even same state, same country, but really different um, values. Maybe that's probably even the wrong word, but just uh, just different pace, different way of life. And so, again, this has been a lot of fun for me. Uh, and so I'm going to talk about, lessons that I learned this week that have just been, again, such a refresher. And if you're a therapist and if you've been away, again, from typically developing children, this also is just a real eye-opener for you. And I hope this will inspire you to somehow get yourself involved in seeing typically developing children at some point in the near future, again, to just kind of remind yourself of this. And another reason this is so striking is the group of children that I've worked with this week, just a really tiny little group, a 13-month-old, a 14-month-old, which, again, on the younger end of maybe when we typically get kids referred to as an early intervention. But, guys, this is so important because this is developmentally where so many of our little friends are. Even if they are older, two, two and a half, they're still not talking yet, and so a lot of their skills may cluster around this 13 to 14 to 15-month range. We also had an 18-month-old and a 31-month-old who, by comparison, you know, just looked like a giant of a child, not only in stature, but just developmentally between the sweet little 13-month-old. You know, that's a big 18-month gap, so huge range of skills here, and I really liked that I got to focus on children that, again, are typically developing but younger uh, than I would normally see or normally work with because it was just such a striking reminder that when the activities and things that really captured uh, and engaged these toddlers, I mean, just all oh, the first little, you know, 13 and 14 months were the same kinds of activities that we need to think about for lots of our little friends who are significantly older, but this is where they are developmentally. So, again, so fun for me to look at that and think, you know, hmm, let me try to use a new gesture and see how quickly I can get this 13-month-old or 14-month-old to imitate or 18-month-old to imitate me and just to really remind myself of how important imitation is and how it flows and, again, how easily it comes for our little friends who are not struggling developmentally. And, again, let me just say these this range of kids, the 31-month-old was very, very chatty, but the other three were so quiet, and we didn't really hear a ton of their words until um, you know, the end of the very first night, and we've been, our little program has run from 5.30 to 8 p.m., and so it took a while for these typically developing babies to warm up, which, again, some of you parents and even some of you therapists may be thinking, duh, we all know that. Kids need a while to warm up. But what do we do when we start to work with a new little client? We just jump right in and think, okay, here we go. We've got our therapy uh, therapy mindset going. And sometimes we don't give kids enough of that warm-up time. And so, again, just to remind myself with after you see a child week after week and they know the therapy routine and they know you and what to expect, certainly we jump right in and get going. But a lot of times with our little friends at the beginning, we do need to remember just how sensitive this whole little age group is with uh, needing that warm-up time before they're comfortable and before we may hear anything from them at all. And, again, remember most of the children that we're working with, or all of them if you're a speech pathologist like me, do have language delays. So it's going to be even longer. We know that that uh, – 
just any kind of communicative function here is going to be take even longer even even more time even even more uh, regulation before children again will begin to use the skills that that parents are reporting to us and sometimes we as therapists think hmm I have never heard this child say that word hmm I really hmm what is that about and a lot of times it really is that lag time we just haven't set the situation up so that the child is comfortable enough to use that word or begin to talk to us or communicate with us at all so that was a real important lesson that I wanted to be sure that I mentioned today uh, the number one thing <laughs> that I learned from Bible school this week is have a plan. And again, I wasn't the lead teacher because I did not want to go in there and take over. And <laughs> I wanted to be an Indian this week instead of a chief. And that, if that analogy offends you, I'm so sorry about that. But what I'm trying to say is I wanted to follow and go in and kind of see what someone else did. And I just was placed with this wonderful matriarch of a teacher she taught kindergarten and first grade for 36 years and so she was excited to be there she certainly knew how to run a little program and her experience is totally different she's general education but again her perspective with looking at child development and her her wealth of information from her career with older children um and and just kind of to look at how she wanted to use some of those same ideas that she brought from teaching that she knew that worked and her biggest thing is every night she was so cute about having a plan and sometimes when we work in these little toddler programs especially not uh not therapeutic programs or preschool or anything like that but sometimes just with community events or things like mother's day out you think i don't really have to have a plan for this this is not what they're here for babysitting and we certainly do not think about that with therapy with therapy we always have a plan or we should with what we think kids are going to do now this is kind of falling out of favor with some state early intervention programs that really emphasize consultative services meaning that you just go to a family's home for a visit and, and, and go in with your plan is you're going to fit in and do whatever the family is currently doing and we're just really going to layer our strategies into fold our strategies and recommendations into a family's existing routine however <laughs> as therapists I don't believe that that should really let us off the hook so that we don't have an idea even if we're not planning the activities our plan is going to be planning the goals what are the goals we're working toward with language with this child what are his receptive goals what are his social engagement goals what are his expressive goals so even if we're working even if we're not really picking the activities we still have to make sure that we do go in with a plan for what those goals are and we are really really focused on that so that if a mom said you know to me directly and they're not going to but it should be so obvious that if she said hey what are we going to do today my goal might be hey we're going to see how many one-step directions he can follow within whatever your activity doing or we're going to see if those five little signs that he's learned if he's going to carry those over spontaneously when we set up this the situations that we're doing or we're going to say he he now we're working on vowel differentiation and we want to see how many different vowel sounds we can hear today and if you can tell that he's doing a different vowel in in a word that he's making some changes that his intelligibility is changing based on the sound so see you can fold your really complicated speechy sounding goal into that existing 
schedule that a family is using, but you better make darn sure as a therapist that it's specific enough, (laughs) one, that you justify your time there, that they need you versus someone else, and then two, that you are really thinking about that and not just taking it, I'm going to fly by the seat of my pants approach and go in and not really accomplish much of anything, which is what I'm afraid happens sometimes when we have programs again that are family focused now we certainly need to have that and I believe that even you know 15 20 years ago when that wasn't as big of a focus as it is now and we we did do a lot more things that look more like traditional therapy even within a family's home even then you should be able to explain to a parent exactly what your speech language goals are for that child and how you're going to folded into that activity, even if it's your activity, their activity, who cares? But you've got to be able to specify at any given time what you're working on there. And you can't say something like help him understand and use more words. I mean, you could. And parents, certainly that's your overall goal. And I just picked that because that's my little tagline for teach me to talk. So great overall message there but we need to be a lot more specific about that and we need to tie those goals into our plan and make sure that what we're doing really really matches what we want our outcome to be now if you do get to pick your activities and if you're a mom listening you get to pick your activities because you're in charge of your child (laughs) and what you're doing with him or her at home think about things for that developmental age range i mentioned that 13 month old all the way up to that 31 month old that's again a big big age group but the things that we think about with all toddlers are things that they can do now we should not think that children in this developmental level are going to learn every single thing by listening and certainly we as speech language pathologists and other early interventionists value the power of words and of language and for instruction and certainly as speech therapists we are always working on that that's our sole focus however Toddlers who are language delayed do not have auditory strengths. They have auditory weaknesses, which means we need to supplement what we're doing, what we're teaching language-wise with something that they can see, something they can touch, something they can feel. So we don't use things that are, again, strictly auditory, even though some of those things might seem to be like music that we're going to talk about in a minute. But at the same time, we're really looking for sensory-based activities, so things a kid can see, things he can touch, things he can feel. And certainly this is how all babies and toddlers learn in this earliest developmental period and and if you'll just kind of think about that that little phrase toddlers learn by doing that also helps you justify your uh, services to parents that want a little more say table-based activities or things that look to them a little bit more like school or they'll say to you hey I didn't think therapy was going to look like this you know it looks like All you're kind of doing is playing to me. And so this is a really good way to say, hey, all toddlers, and especially toddlers that we know that have these difficulties with processing a language or learning to be symbolic with words, that you justify your approach, which is play-based, by saying, hey, all kids learn best when they're doing something. And certainly kids who have difficulty with language need another kind of sense to layer on there to help them really, really link meaning with this activity and, again, make language easier for them to understand and and process. So talk about that means that we're going to do uh, 
things that involve their little bodies. You know, we already talked about the senses with what they can, can feel. And so you talk about how you're going to bring all those senses in. Other kinds of things like movement, you know, don't, we can't really expect toddlers to stay in one place for any time period longer than just a couple of minutes, <laughs> especially when they're in a new environment like that. So you really, really have to think about, you know, how can I keep this moving along? What is my plan? You know, I'm not going to plan for a 20-minute story here because nobody stays with that. You know, stickers, coloring, all of the things that you do with uh, older children in these kinds of programs certainly aren't going to be appropriate. Even if people try, you know, you can do a lot of things and talk about hand over hand. And you can certainly think, well, I'm exposing this child to a new new activity, but you also want to make sure that you're being developmentally appropriate and that you're thinking, uh, kind of staying within the uh, confines of what that child can do developmentally. So if he's going to, if you, one of your plans, and I just saw this so <laughs> illustrated so beautifully for me again this week, if the plan, again, is for a child to do some kind of art activity and all he wants to do is eat the materials you know that you need to adjust and you've got to be flexible, which is my second point here, and adjust to a child's developmental level, which always, always, always means simplify. So sometimes it might mean go older, sometimes or, or, or uh higher developmental level. Sometimes children are bored and will act out or not participate a lot of the time because it's just too easy for them. And yes, that does happen, especially with typically developing children. However, with our little guys with language delays, it's a good rule of thumb is if you're not sure what's going on, if you're getting balking, you know, just with behaviors that they don't want to participate with, really, again, being super negative or running away or even aggressive, always simplify first because a lot of times it's just that it's too hard and your expectations are above what they can do developmentally. So be flexible and simplify those kinds of activities that don't seem to be working. And listen, if you have more than one child that you're working with, which happens to us a lot for those of us who go into daycares and even homes with siblings and other children that are there, you know, always, 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 when, you have, when you're losing a couple of kids, move on. Just because, again, you're getting very, very immediate feedback <laughs> about how interesting your activity is, or it could be you. It could just be that you need to up the ante a little bit and participate with a little bit more drama, a little bit more excitement, or it could be that you might be even be, again, a little bit overbearing or your expectations are just too high, either behaviorally, meaning they can't sit and listen for that long, or even developmentally, like an art project when is not usually a good idea for a child who's even typically developing under about two, unless that's a really specific interest of theirs. So again, be willing to adjust your plan, have a plan, but when things seem to be going terribly wrong, a good rule of thumb is always to simplify. And then all, again, uh, I want to just reiterate, make sure that your activities are developmentally appropriate. If you're not sure what to do, go with a sensory-based activity, something a kid can do and feel. Now, one of the big things this week, uh, so fun for us, that I wanted to mention specifically was water play. And here's why I wanted to mention this. So that was the whole kind of plan for uh, this group of children, even though we were kind of the add-on. They didn't really think about us there. And so there wasn't really anything to do other than splash in the water, squeeze some sponges, those kinds of things. And the other, well, okay, let me just back up. I don't want to 
let me just back up. Let me just say, the water play was a fantastic activity, but sometimes you do have to have some props or at least some little routines to kind of keep that going and not turn into, again, where you're managing so much behavior and you really can teach some excellent social engagement with getting a kid, uh, kid's eye contact and to really look at you and be with you and want to stay with you and to share that experience together. And, again, something like splashing is a – Super, super way to do this. Now, if you want some written instructions and some written ideas about this, if you have my therapy manual, let's talk about talking. It's on page 78 and 79. But if you don't have that, let me just give you some quick little pointers about this. And, again, I use splashing a lot at the very beginning with a child who likes water or who I'm having a super hard time getting their attention. But, guys, you don't want to get left out of this. And for some kids, water is so enticing that you're going to have to work pretty hard to get yourself in there. So you may have to let them get accustomed to the water and then kind of jump in. Or for some kids, kind of read the situation. If you don't get in there right at the beginning, they will never tune in to you because, again, you can never compete with something as exciting as to use your own judgment. But I like to do splashing when I am wait, I wait until they are quiet or kind of between things they're doing, and then I get face-to-face with that child. Lean in, and again, you want to get your face not so that you are, you know, in his little personal space and he's trying to get away from you, but close enough so he really, really pays attention to you. And then I build anticipation with my voice and say, I'm going to. And then I back up and splash the water. And that is usually such a surprise that (laughs) they're going to look at you. Now, especially if you don't get it in their face. If you get it in their face and they cry and they're real sensitive about that, you've lost it. So try not to do that. But do it so that it's fun enough for them to, one, See the water, but two, still include you with that because you do want to be paired with it. And, again, remember your goal here isn't for him to say, please splash me with more water, Miss Laura. <laughs> your goal for a lot of these kids is just that attention and just that eye contact and just staying right there with you. Another real fun water routine that we did this week that, again, I was reminded of because it didn't really have, you know, anything for us to do. And just these little routines, again, are so beautiful because they work with everybody and everywhere. So great, great little routines for you to always have ready. But a good one is squeezing water. Now, there were some sponges there that it kind of picked up and brought over for those younger kids. Uh, But you can do this with a washcloth. You can do it with a wipe. But just this is how I do it. I and you could do it with your child, your own child if you're a mom. You, know, you don't have to be outside in a baby pool or rubber, you know, in, even inside with a Rubbermaid container or, you know, what whatever little plastic container you want to use. Or you can do this kind of thing in, with your own child in the bathtub. So, again, water is your only requirement here. Your setting is totally up to you. But what I like to do is take the cloth or the sponge or whatever we're using and swirl it around a little bit in the water so the child is paying attention to whatever that object is and then lift it up so that the child can see it and watch the water drip and then I use both hands and and squeeze the water out and I say squeeze and again I say it in that high-pitched really annoying irritating voice but I promise that's what works. And that's honestly, for you speech language pathologists, that's how I get an E, <laughs> the vowel E for lots of children because this little routine is so fun for toddlers. And, again, don't don't just dismiss it as, you know, this crazy lady, what is she talking about? This is a universally fun activity for kids with squeezing that water out. And, again, it worked this week with these uh, typically developing kids, and it has always worked for me. Uh, for uh, 
our little friends with language delays too. It also works too, I think, uh, for kids with sensory impairments because you've got the water there. And so our, our little friends, again, who have some uh, or who are more significantly cognitively affected love this activity too because again it's something they can do and this is a really easy thing to teach moms for bathtubs and we already spoke directly to moms in talking about doing this with their own children but certainly we as therapists are always thinking about how can we get our strategies so that a family will really really use them and again that's for the daily routine so this is a super super routine to teach for uh, bath time too so get the cloth you know, the components swirl around so that they're paying attention to it. Hold it up, watch the water drip for a second, and then do the squeeze. Children will nearly always want to join in after a time or two of that. So help them do anything to get that going. And be sure that you're setting it up where they are they are looking at you before you say squeeze. It's, you know, and you might have to play it, oh, gosh, five times, even ten times whatever with the child to really for them to anticipate the word squeeze but as soon as they you that they start to you think they're waiting on that you know do your expectant pause so you've got it up you've got the water dripping down and then you know do a little gasp or something so that they will you know make a little toy noise like hey aren't you going to look at me are you ready for me to say that word and that is a super super way too to increase attention to you and help a child learn to look at you and, and start to listen for what you say and start to anticipate your words also again super super verbal routine which always adds structure to an activity it always makes it more predictable it always makes it so that again a child after some practice after some time learns what to expect and so they know what's coming next and they know that this is next and so that's that's what I want to end with today with that's something that I was really really reminded of I've mentioned the imitation piece with you know how many can I how long will it take me to get this kid to imitate this new gesture uh what hmm, can I get a can I really get a 13 month old to bang on the table if I do it as I as I know that should happen with typical development will is this tar, is this imitation piece what if I kick this chair you know will the 18 month old notice that and try to do that too and the answer to all those things was yes <laughs> they certainly did and again reminding yourself of these things that you know and that you as as a therapist you know we've got to remember again that we're we're teaching this developmental sequence imitation doesn't start with words and sometimes as speech therapists we forget that and we forget about how important it is for them to imitate actions and how easy easy that should be for children especially you know once they've reached that first birthday and sometimes we forget about that and we because we're working with two and three and four year olds with language delays and we're not really starting way back where we should start and then when we do we think oh that imitating action that's just too hard I'm just going to go straight to words that's what we want to do anyway <gasps> you know what did you do there you put your cart before the horse you're working on something that's way down the line and so again with typically developing kids it reminds you of how language develops and again how easy these skills are for kids who are not uh, who do not have developmental differences or different learning styles and so sometimes we have to really go back and remind ourselves of how this is how this really works this is how this is really supposed to be certainly what I was going to end with too is uh, we talked about how important imitation is but music you know and I've always said for a long time you know well I'll let's fail sing you know if something's going horribly wrong with a child I almost always <laughs> will break into song 
because singing is so regulating. And for parents who haven't heard that term before, that just means that a child gets calmer and more peaceful, or for some children, more alert. They're they're in a they're in that optimal state of readiness for learning. So music, certainly, I was reminded of that lesson this week from this wonderful woman who had taught kindergarten for all those years, and, you know, she was laughing, and I told her, you know, one of the things that I always say is, you know, I I have a song for everything, and she said, oh, boy, I do, and oh, boy, did she. (laughs) She sang, and she sang, and she sang, and she sang, and that was fantastic because those little kids ate it up. I mean, they loved her every time, you know, every time. She opened her mouth to sing, and she is a wonderful musician. But they just looked right at her. And, again, it was so good to see that and be reminded of that. And and remember, singing and songs are verbal routines. And like we just talked about how effective that can be for really, really solidifying in a child's mind what comes next or what the expectations are. Are we about to eat our little snack? Are we about to go to the playground? Are we are we expected to come sit here at the circle? You know, whatever. And listen, don't be afraid to make up your own little songs for things. Use the tunes to uh, well-established little uh, children's songs. And then, again, adapt your words. And she did that a lot this week. And I loved it. And I do that, too. But, again, it's so refreshing sometimes to see your own ideas other people use it you have nothing to do with them they have nothing to do with you but that just really really reinforces to you the validity of your work and of your approach and of the things that you've chosen and I bet a lot of you feel like that when you listen to the podcast you think I do that you know oh I've never heard her before. This, I, you know, this is my idea, and so see, you are you are reinforcing in your own mind how effective you are, and you're hearing somebody else do the same things you do, and that should be reinforcing to you. And so, I hope that lots and lots and lots of you get that from the podcast every week and feel like that um, about your own work with that. So I think that I've covered everything. Let me just kind of go back and make sure that we do a little reminder here. And if you, a lot of people, a lot of you tell me that you take notes and you'll email me and say, hey, I didn't get the written summary from this week's podcast, but I took my own notes and you'll ask me a question about it or whatever. So if you're the note taker, (laughs) lessons that we could all learn from um, participating in a program with typically developing children, even with toddlers, you still need a plan. And that plan for sometimes for a lot of us as early interventionists should be something like familiar words or words he needs to get through the day or, you know, whatever if the family's doing uh, a little, that they're all going to clean up the den or whatever they're doing. Remember that, you know, you think about that and that, that could be your plan. That could be your theme. That could be your lesson. But be sure that you have that not only with your activity, but also with your goals, with your strategy. So be sure that you're sharing that. And as therapists, you should always say to a mom or a dad or a grandmother, whoever you're a teacher, whoever you're participating with, hey, okay, that's fantastic. Y'all are already going to eat breakfast. Fantastic. Let's remember what our goal is here. We want him to, and then blah, 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 blah. And, again, don't make it always about what that expressive piece is. Children need to work on the social engagement piece first and then the receptive language piece and the cognitive piece. So be sure that you're expressing that. If a child isn't developmentally ready to talk, you should still be able to clearly state in one sentence to someone and in real-life language what that goal is. Point number two, even though you have a plan, be flexible. Adjust to the children's developmental level. And often that means point number three, simplify. 
So if you're losing participation, even if you're just working one-on-one with a kid, a lot of times we think this is too, too easy. Let's bump it up. Let's bump it up. Let's do something harder. No, try to simplify first. Always try to go down. Always try to see where is this child is developmentally and meet him there. And a lot of times we don't have success because we're working at levels with toddlers. It's just it's too hard. And so anytime something's too hard, we have to back up, and that always means simplify. Our fourth point, really, really tie, um, provide structure with verbal routines and with music. And those are two things that, again, are universally appealing. I also gave you other universally appealing ideas with water play. Um, and as we move through the summer, I want to try to give you more activities that do seem to be um, related to what we're all doing now, which again is moving into summer. Uh, we do have a lot of viewers though now, or listeners now, I'm thinking about Australia and New Zealand. Not you, y'all are cold there. <laughs> but for the rest of us, I do want to be sure that we're talking about therapy ideas because I do think that's an important point for all of us and to get uh, new ideas that we can all use every week. All right, that's it for this show. I hope you enjoyed um, those little lessons and that you can apply that this week, and I hope you'll join me here next week. Thanks so much, and have a great week.